Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause, doing something a little different this week. Instead of convening the usual pop culture panel to talk about Justin Bieber's tattoos and the color of Beyonce's hair, we're doing something a little different. Just one guest. Uh, but what a guest. Her name is Shirley Nome uh, from the west coast of Canada. She's a multi-award-winning cabaret musician known for her explicit lyrics, hilarious insights, and gorgeous voice. That's what, what my press release says. That's anyway. exactly what it says. <laughs> and uh, you have a new album, a new CD called Taking It Up the Notch. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Music. And uh, I want to start by going back, being way, way back. So right. we're going to divide this interview kind of into two segments. One, before April 14th, 2009, mm -hmm. and then the second half will be kind of after April 14th, 2009. <laughs> so let's start from growing up on the West Coast, mm -hmm. grew up in, in Vancouver. I grew up in Surrey, actually. In Surrey. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you've always loved music. Always. Yeah. I grew up in a, in a family of music aficionados. I always say aficionados. <laughs> I mix those two words together at some point in my life. Aficionados. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's no one except for my grandma who plays music in my family, played, uh, but there's a lot of music in the house all the time. Uh, so I always loved it. And what kind of music? Oh boy. Um, well, let's see. There was like a lot of the Beatles, mm -hmm. uh, Traveling Wilburys, Paul Simon, so singer-songwriter kind uh, yeah. of thing, you would say, which is what you are. What you, so would you... Oh, I, I just put that together. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you say that that uh, sort of pushed you towards this? Was music ever something before April 14th? We're going to get to the point of this. Before April 14th, 2009, <laughs> that you thought of as a way of making a living? Uh, definitely not. No. <laughs> no. Not a living. Um I didn't really think I could make any kind of living in the arts. I, I just really loved music. And I, my mom, she learned violin like she was forced to learn violin. Mm -hmm. uh, but then she kind of moved some of those skills over to guitar and she learned like, you know, basic folk chords. And right. she taught me the first three chords on the guitar that I ever learned when I was 15. And I learned them and, uh, and I, play, I learned how to play the Hanukkah song by Adam Sandler. <laughs> Because uh, you could do that with those three chords. And then, like, I forgot about it for a couple of years. <laughs> so, no, it wasn't like... And, and I loved singing all the time. Uh, and I would always be singing. But, um, yeah, I just... Uh, I don't know. It didn't seem like a possibility, necessarily. It didn't really occur to me, I guess. So, as we lead up to April 14th, 2009, you had one song. You wrote one song. Yes. That you kind of played over and over and over. That, that was your song. That mm -hmm. was the thing. No more after that, right? Yeah. Well, I wrote that song. I must have been like 20, I think, when I wrote that. Uh, and it was like my party gag. Right. So, because uh, I played it for a couple of friends to make them laugh, which is really the source of most of my inspiration, really, is just getting my, my friends to crack up at silly things. And, uh, yeah, and then I just got known for doing that. So at parties when there's a guitar going around or whatever in East Vancouver, they like, play that song, play that song, play that song. I'm like, okay. And that, that song had, what, five chords in it. So right. I learned two extra ones. Uh, I was very proud of those. And what was the song about? Uh, the song was a response to a Tenacious D song, mm. um, the title of which I cannot say on right. your program. Right. Uh, but the song was about making sure to softly make love to a woman every now and again. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> Andre's applauding. I think yes. he knows the song I'm referring to. <laughs> uh, and so I, as a response, said, 
Yes, but also make sure to, if your woman wants it, you know, roughly in the barn, to also do that. Listen to her needs, you know? So it was a song about uh, asking for what you want, uh, and it was called Big Hard Imagination. And so it, that kind of set the template for a lot of the work that came after that. <laughs> it <right>? sure did. <laughs> it sure did. And so April 14th, 2009, we've talked about it. What happened that day? So that was uh, the night of a show that my dear friend, Katie Carlson, was putting together. Uh, it's a burlesque fundraiser. And she it was her very first uh, event, and she was trying to collect talent from the community. And she wanted me to come in and play uh, my song. Right. And I was like, oh, <laughs> in public? Really? I don't know. And then she said, I'll pay you in alcohol. And I went, okay. <laughs> um, and she also asked me if I'd write a second song in the theme of self-love because right. the burlesque show was called All You Need Is Love. Right. Uh, so I did that uh, and wrote a little song. Uh, about loving yourself in a fashion you might expect for uh, the type of material that I was already writing. And uh, and then I went up and I played those songs and uh, people were just over the moon about it. It was such a strong response. Like I could really feel um, uh, a real voracious like uh, enthusiasm that came out of doing that. And I was like, hmm, I smell money. So uh, I got a band together and... Uh, we recorded an album, uh, and I wrote how many? Were, I wrote like six more songs, and we did it in one day around one microphone, like classic sort of jet yeah, band yeah. style. Uh, all people who were either uh, fledgling musicians or non-musicians who happened to be able to pick up a kazoo or a washboard <laughs> or what have you, and did that, and then uh, and that's just the beginning, really, of all of this complete madness. I'm speaking with Shirley Gnome. The album is called Taking It Up the Notch. It's currently available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Music. Um, if that show hadn't gone so well, if the response hadn't been as voracious, would you be sitting here today? Do you Probably think? not. Probably no? not. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. Because the thing is, as much as I was like, uh, had the allure of uh, monetizing my ding-dongery <laughs> into something, I... I like the 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 heart of it was was like my friends would you know talk about something and I'd be like oh let's make a song out of that and then I would sing it back to them and they go oh this is great it was like a catharsis sort of uh, exercise so I probably would have written more music I don't know necessarily if I would have gotten back on stage in front of people again with it but hey who knows right but uh, yeah yeah that's that's the real seed of all of it and so what so you make this album mm -hmm. and and what happens because now you're signed to 604 records <laughs> yeah i am you are that's a big <laughs> indie label it's that's crazy. canada's largest independent music label it sure is at the time you weren't signed to them though no so what did you do did you just go on the road and sell it in the back you know, like after the show and that kind of thing yeah i you know i, I got like a hundred copies and we like it was me and a couple of friends. We got together and we like stuffed old jewel cases. Yeah, yeah. Like I printed out black and white photocopies of the cover and the and the song titles. And we I cut them and we put them all in. It took us a night of drinking wine and and then I had these CDs and I only did maybe like three shows a year for the next oh gee two thousand nine two thousand ten two thousand eleven. Uh, Whenever I would, I didn't really pursue it too much. Right. I just had them on hand, and then I'd get called in, usually for a burlesque show, uh, or like a country night, or something like that. Like you know, so 
I would go out and I'd drink a lot of whiskey and I would <laughs> play these songs. I one show we did with the band again, which was really fun, um, but it was very sporadic. And I would then sell the CDs after the show. And it was definitely just a side novelty kind of a thing. Um, uh, and it was a lot of fun those first two, three years of but just doing that. When did it change? Because now you perform all over the world. You've just yeah. come from North Carolina, but you've performed in Australia. You've performed everywhere. Yeah. Uh, when did that all change? Uh, I suppose, I mean, there's a, you can kind of pinpoint certain uh, moments that kind of put me on a path. Um, in 2000, late 2011, I uh, had a friend working at a bar on Main Street in Vancouver. His name is Gio. And Gio loved one of my songs, the title of which I cannot say on your program. Mm-hmm. And There's going to be a bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> a touch. As we go through this. I also, in that, in that phase of my career, I hadn't quite learned not to make the punchline the title of the song, right. which is what all of them are. <laughs> just get, this song is called, and then there'd be no joke. Anyway, right. you live, you learn. Um, <laughs> he loved this one song, and there was an indie comedy night that happened at that bar every Monday night or something that James Masters put on. And he's like, come down and do the stand-up show. And I had previously tried a stand-up show with this. Uh, someone had encouraged me to go, and it had gone really badly. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I didn't really belong in that scene very much. And so I had, um, I was, mm, I wasn't really on board with it. And I explained that to him, and he said, "I'll give you free bourbon." And I went, "Okay." <laughs> so then I showed up. Free and, bourbon uh, has been the beginning of a lot of stories. You know, yeah, it yeah. really uh, incentivizes things. <laughs> uh, so I. I went down and I uh, I played my song and another one, and this time the response was a lot more positive from the stand-up community, right. particularly James, who had put on the show. He was a lovely Australian guy, actually, who was living in Vancouver at the time, and was really enthusiastic and encouraging. He was like, try all these other rooms, and, and so... It was really fun, so I was like, okay. So he sort of introduced me to more people in that scene, um, and so working into that ended up with me getting uh, winning a free spot in a comedy contest in 2012. And that comedy contest, for sure, was the thing that put me at a, a higher echelon of people knowing who I was. So, yeah, I, I as much as the contest, I think, is the moment you can say, well, this is where, like, it really started rolling and became my career. It was, you know, the 10 months before that with my friend giving me free bourbon. I often think that, and we've only got about a minute left, but I often mm. think that uh, the big break isn't all like it, people go, oh, it must have been you got that big break, and then all that. But it's it's 10 months of work, or in some cases, years of work. Oh, yeah, and then years of work that. after that. Mm-hmm. So the next big break, quote, quote, you know. Yeah, I, I interviewed Russell Peters yesterday, oh, and, yeah. and he was working since 1989. It wasn't until 2004 that someone. Uh, put on one of his comedy routines on a file sharing thing that eventually became YouTube and it got 18 million hits that he sort of blew up. Yeah. But it was, you know, tw- you know, 10 years, 15 years of work before then. Of hustle and hustle. Of hustle yeah. and hustle. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Shirley Gnome. The album's called Taking It Up the Notch. Buy it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Music. Uh, you can find it also, I guess, at 604records.com. Yeah. Uh, they're Canada's largest independent music label and when we come back we're going to get more sort of as much as we can into what the songs are about and and why uh, your subject matter uh, is one that has uh, stayed with you consistently all the way through your career 
Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. In studio, Shirley Nome joins us. Uh, her new CD, Taking It Up the Notch, is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Music. Uh, I like that you are described in one review that I read as the queen troubadour of intelligent black comedy sex balladry. So... <laughs> it's a big title to live it, up to. It, it's a big title. It's a lot of words. It's a big title. Mm. Uh, you are very specific in the things that you write about. You write about human relationships mm -hmm. and you write uh, very candidly about sex. Mm -hmm. uh, now, it seems like that's always been the case from your very first song mm -hmm. all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. What, why why uh, cast yourself uh, or, or, or slot yourself in that, in that realm? Well... I will say that on the new album, I did break out of that a little yep. bit as just as a as a creative experiment. So there are a few songs about things other than sex, such as murdering your neighbor's dog and how we're all going to die. And a lot of doom and gloom actually made its way in there. A lot of existential stuff. Uh, but there is definitely quite a bit of uh, material about uh, sex and relationships still. And, uh, you know, it's I get asked that a lot. And. Really, a lot of I know it that sounds is... judgy. Like it sounds like I'm. And it's not. No, like, that's not it at all. No. But I mean, it's impossible to talk about your career without <laughs> without yeah. discussing this. The, and and the fact that that's been a huge part of my success, really, and mm -hmm. the and why people really enjoy that. I think there's two parts of it. One is that it's kind of out of my control on some <laughs> level because most writers would say they have a muse or you know right. something that kind of inspires them. I just I just can't help it. I think of these things and they make me laugh and then I write them down and they're usually, I mean, uh, maybe I've just uh, got a hormone imbalance, but I just uh, am a sexual person. And that, realizing that that was something that we have a, a fairly sex negative culture in a right. lot of ways, you know, an example of which is like my songs that are violent. There's no problem with that content wise. But, oh, you start talking about how you enjoy a sex thing. Oh, no, you can't say that. That's terrible. That's mm -hmm. bad. That's wrong. Um, and, you know, that's one small example of the way that that's uh, that is. And when I started singing these songs, I realized that as a woman as well, um, just being public about that uh, is strange and empowering and terrifying and yeah. all of these things. Um, and that, in a way, is to be sex positive and to be candid and to be unashamed uh, about uh, sexuality and uh, real honest experiences of what that's like, not the fantasy of, of female sexuality, which yeah. is prevalent everywhere, but the honest, farty truth of it all. <laughs> um, that's like a power that uh, I realized that I was that I was sort of releasing when I was doing these songs, and people were really responding to it and being like, "Oh, that's what I think," but I've never even thought of saying it out loud before. Right. Um, and for some reason, I'm able to do that, <laughs> and I think a part of that is a privilege of being, um, you know, in a a family that's really supportive and not judgmental. For one, um, having really good experiences. Um, and Who let you listen to an Adam Sandler record when you were Adam young Sandler, over and over? I got to listen to Cheech and Chong. <laughs> I got to listen to Lenny Bruce. Wow. My dad, when I was a teenager, he says to me, hey, I, uh, I got to play you a jazz, a jazz album from the 30s. 
I just want you to know that the F word existed before television. <laughs> and I was like, what? And then he put this song on and it was called Everybody's Effing But Me. Um, and it was so funny. And it was like this underground bootleg copy yeah, yeah. of this song. And I was like, oh, my God. And it blew my mind. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, we're not like a there's not a lot of shaming in my family. And uh, and I didn't I grew up in, a, in not feeling ashamed of who I was. And then I realized that was that was the privilege that I had and that was the thing that people didn't have. And that my experience of just to be like, hey, you ever notice how this is a weird thing? And just like completely silencing a room. I was like, what's everybody so concerned about? That's that's the thing that I have to give in a lot of ways. And 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 so many of my friends like come up to me. I'm kind of like the unofficial counselor in my group of friends right. for some reason. Um, oh, I, this thing happened, and oh, and they you know drink a couple glasses of wine, and oh my god, and it was like I'm like that's not a big deal. Here's a little song I just wrote about it. That's the whole thing. And then they'd be like, they'd laugh, and it's like this catharsis of not feeling ashamed of things that are pretty human and basic. And I am limited, of course, in my experiences um, because I'm just a like a cisgendered heterosexual woman. So I don't speak for a lot of other communities, but I try to stick to very personal experiences or things that can be universal in terms of like acceptance and love and uh, intimacy and romance and uh, all these sorts of unspoken realities of what it is really like to be with other people in a sexual way. I'm speaking with Shirley Nome. The album's called Taking It Up the Notch. Find it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Music. I think one of the things, because the shows that you do live um, are billed as comedy shows, mm. but people, uh, I think, if they haven't seen it before, would be unprepared for how beautiful your voice is, <laughs> how well-written and structured and things the songs are. And I, I think that the idea that you are discussing very frankly and in very frank language that we can't use on the radio. It's a little frustrating. <laughs> uh, um, it, coupled with the the beauty of the presentation is something that seems like an odd juxtaposition sometimes and yes. I think can be part of the thing where the, the humor comes from. Absolutely. That is a huge part of it. Um, and I think that the the more the better I got at music, the better I was able to juxtapose those two right. things that I broke out of country in some ways. I was able to write more complex songs. And then I was also able to use uh, sex and sexuality as a tool by which to talk about other issues, um, about how humans relate to each other and, you know, about human nature. And so then I would be talking about those things with this sort of explicit metaphorical stuff and then try and sing it as with all of the grace that um, I am misusing in this, <laughs> this heathen heathen lifestyle of mine. So, yeah. And I also understand that when I get on stage at a comedy show and I've got a guitar, this feeling of, like, discomfort fills the room. Absolutely. Because yeah. they go, oh, God, no, this is going to be such bad music. Yeah, and the, the only thing worse than that would be a prop comic. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 no. I've seen this bad so many times. And I totally understand. I don't I don't begrudge any audience member for going for their drink, being like, oh, boy, here we go when I get up there. Because I'm like, I understand. I've probably seen more bad versions of this than you have. So, yeah. And then I just uh, try to hit that first note. And, and uh, 
That's my alarm going That's, off. That, it's time for me to wake up. It's time for you to wake up. <laughs> uh, it's we're, we're out of time on this segment. When we come back, I want to uh, talk about the difference in reaction, if there is one, between men and women in your audiences uh, to the songs. And I also want to talk a little bit about uh, kind of what's going on uh, in a larger sense in the world with the Harvey Weinsteins of the world and all this stuff and how you might. Uh, react to that and respond to that. So stay with us. Shirley Nome is my guest. The album is called Taking It Up the Notch. Her alarm has just gone off, so she's wide awake now. (laughs) (laughs) Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, Shirley Nome has joined us. I love this. She's the queen troubadour of intelligent black comic sex balladry. We've been discussing uh, that and her new CD. It's called Taking It Up the Notch. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Music, uh, and other places too, and at your live shows. Yeah, I'm sure you can buy them, like a handful of them if you want, you at can. your live shows And afterwards. I autograph them at live shows too. Which makes you cooler than everyone else That's when right. you have that. And then they become a collector's item. <laughs> uh, so, Shirley Nome, we were talking about uh, the kind of songs that you write and the sort of sexual frankness that comes along with that. And I wonder what the reaction is, uh, the difference between men and women. And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to suggest that I bet you men are uncomfortable with it sometimes. Many men are uncomfortable with it, and many women are kind of uh, not uncomfortable <laughs> with it. <laughs> Uh, if, if we're going to generalize, I would say that that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never really know because, um, you know, prudes are all over the spectrum, yep. all yep. over the gender spectrum, the political spectrum. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing at all. Um, I always like put a sort of a. Uh, disclaimer, if anyone's made a poor entertainment choice by coming to my show <laughs> without really realizing what they're doing, I make sure to start the show with something really in your face. Right. And then I close my eyes and I let anyone leave that wants to leave. Because <laughs> I am not into making yeah. people uncomfortable. I'm actually like, that's not the point. The point is actually to make people more uh, more comfortable, yeah. in fact. And so the thing is, it's just I have all different like I, I'll have. You know, there's there's plenty of of guys that come to the show and they're just just as on board with it. And they yeah. think it's wonderful. And I do think that um, this it seems to be that the the universal uh, element of people who are enjoying it is that they love women. Right. Really, I think and that can be sometimes that's not women. Sometimes it's like up and out of there, <laughs> yeah. you know, and not to say that they hate women or anything like that. But it can be dis- it can be uncomfortable. Um for a lot of reasons that are around the uh, the sort of cultures of misogyny that can yeah. create like a oh, I don't I don't like this I don't like this woman doing this thing, and <laughs> I have a a really uh, there's a comic in Melbourne uh, her name is Laura Davis she's unbelievable she's one of my favorite stand-ups and she does a joke about how the discomfort that men will feel with any female comic um, or any woman who's in a position of power on a stage doing something that maybe they're quote unquote not supposed to um, is this idea that if women are inferior and they are in a position of power and they're funny that is just like it doesn't fit into their right. thing, right? They just are like, no, 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 this That's doesn't make sense. the square peg in the round hole. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and her joke is like, it's like if a turtle somehow broke into your house. You're like, this just doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's so funny. You should look her up. She's so good. Uh, oh and what's God. her name? Laura Davis. Laura Davis. Yeah. yeah. And um, when, she, when I saw her show in, in Melbourne at the Comedy Festival and she said that, it was like lights <laughs> just going off for me and my own experience of being a, a female funny person. So 
Um, yeah, men and women, not necessarily the dividing line of enjoying, not enjoying. There are certain things, there are certain generalizations, though. For sure, it's like women get very like excited about seeing someone talk about what's in them, you know? And, so and that's good. Vocalizing it in a way that, that is unique mm-hmm. and, and you don't hear very often, I Yes, think. Yeah. and music often softens the delivery of that in some right. ways. Music is, has a really magical quality about it, and it can make anything sound magical, even like the biggest pile of poop. <laughs> it can be just like, it just can sound so good. And that's that juxtaposition element again of what yeah. I do. Um, so uh, that makes it like sing-songy and fun to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, I, I've written a bunch of books, and my father pointed out to me not long ago, he's read them, and he said, on the first page of all of your books, except for one, there is outrageous profanity. And I wonder <laughs> if it's the same thing. I've never really thought about it. I, right. I didn't realize that mm. it was uh, that it was something that I do, but apparently, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, the wheat from the chaff kind of thing. It's going to yeah. be like all or nothing. If, yeah. you, if you can get past that first paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> then you're fine. Then you're fine. Mm-hmm. So you talk about being uh, a woman in comedy. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit because mm-hmm. we do hear... Uh, uh, well, particularly, I guess, in light of Louis C.K. and the allegations that are coming out, um, we we hear more and more about the mistreatment of women in comedy. Um, you know, for every Sarah Silverman that is out there, uh, there are dozens who you haven't heard of mm. who either through lack of opportunity or whatever uh, haven't taken the next step. What's your experience? My experience, well... We, you know, it's, this has all sort of come up. The Harvey Weinstein thing brought up, like, the women in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Then Louis C.K. brought up women in comedy. The truth is, is women everywhere yeah. are dealing with this, right? Oh, no, this is, a, like, so, a, you know, right now uh, we're focused on these big stories because we've heard of them. Yes. If it was all about CEOs of <gasps> companies that you've never heard of, then, you know, it, yeah. it, the story wouldn't have the legs that it has now. Yes. But these are very famous people, and, and that's sort of a magnet that to. people are, are attracted to. Yes. But it is everywhere, absolutely. Yeah, so it's like, it's very, I understand that, and that makes a lot of sense to me the way you put it, that um, people have like laughed uh, uh, with Louis C.K. Yeah. and his jokes, and uh, and he has like a you know what was what was described as a feminist leaning in a lot of ways, and so that it feels like a some kind of um, well, if you look at the the people he works with, I mean Tig Notaro, mm. uh, Pamela Alden, like mm-hmm. these are some great female comics that yeah. that he just because of his influence in the in the comedy world yeah. was able to give a leg up to. Yes. And you know, and now look at the mess he's left. And behind. then married with a thing, and of course, like that's I. Life is not black and white, obviously. Yeah. Um, and and just the connection that people have to you know Harvey Weinstein and the fact that he's involved in all these great movies, yeah. and and so that's that. I think that emotional impact is saying something about why it's yeah. uh, getting a response. Um, in my experience, um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's been varied. I have. Like the Vancouver comedy scene for me has always been pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, I understand though that because what I do is not strictly stand up, in some ways I've been treated differently, mm-hmm. not badly at all, but like the competitive nature of stand up hasn't affected me as much as it affects women who are strictly stand up right. in that right. world. 
I come in as a sort of novelty, this side thing, and I, that's like that with almost every world that I belong to. And yeah. burlesque, I'm not taking. I'm not a stripper, right. so I'm like this little cousin that's off on the side. It's, <laughs> there is a connection there, but it's not exactly what that scene is known for. It's yeah. same with stand up. It's same with theater. It's uh, same with even music festivals, right? So I have this sort of outsidery kind of experience of lots of these worlds. My more negative experiences have actually come more from audience members. Revelstoke comes to mind. Yes. Yeah, tell us about that. We've got a couple minutes left. Tell us about that. Well, long story short, <laughs> uh, these guys in the audience at this Revelstoke show were loudly talking. And, and this is the thing. There's heckling and then there's... Uh, you know, sexual harassment yeah. or verbal abuse. And what they were doing was in sexual harassment, verbal abuse territory. They were talking about, essentially they were talking about raping me after the show. Right. Uh, and I had to stop because I, I lost my, I lost my poop. Yeah, you lost I, your uh, mojo on I stage. Did. And yes. I, I screamed, I yelled at them like a, like an angry nanny. I said to them, what would your mother think of you right now if 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 she heard you talking yeah. like this? And one of them, as soon as I said the M word, up, out of there. And I was like, well, that's explaining something. And then the other guys got real angry. And I, I told them they were, what did I say? Like they're human garbage and all these yeah. things. People were laughing. They thought it was, like, funny. And I was just, like, shaking. Um, it was really upsetting. And... The, and these guys, they tried to, uh, when I had a break in between, one of the guys actually tried to confront me and the manager had to stand between us and kick the guy out. It was this whole mess. And I realized, too, that that actually had a really huge impact on me because, like, I, for a long time after that, when people would heckle, in even in the nicest way, right. I would just suddenly get <laughs> so human angry. Garbage. I yeah. would. And I was like, and this is not, this is like some kind of PTSD shit. This is yeah. not anything to do with this person having to have fun. That was not a good one, and uh, and there that is that line where this is not this is not just um, a little bit of uh, interaction with the audience. This right. is terrifying, and yeah, and that's the worst thing that I've had. But primarily, I've had really, really, really good experiences with people, and really, really great reviews. Go online, go to your uh, really unique and cool website. <laughs> Shortlygnome.com. Uh, I I love it. You'll get the. You'll either get the joke right away or you won't. But uh, check that out. Also check out the new album. It's called Taking It Up the Notch. Available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Music. When we come back, we continue the conversation with Shirley. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. My guest in studio is Shirley Gnome. The CD is called Taking It Up the Notch. Available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Music, and other places too. You can also uh, buy it after the show. You go see Shirley, you get to see her perform, and then you can take the music home with you, and she'll even autograph it and make you even cooler. The coolest. The coolest. Um, so you're touring to in support of the album right now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, every time, what well, we were talking before we came in, I said, so you live in Vancouver and you're like, well, kind of, sort of, not really. I'm just sort of a, I'm, I'm living on the road now mm -hmm. for a couple of years. Yes. Almost two. It'll be two on January 15th. And how does that feel? Like, does, <laughs> does the idea of, of not having a home base cross your mind or does it matter to you? Uh, I would say for the first year and a half, it was real fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, and it, it it does make sense in a lot of ways financially um, to to have an apartment that you're never at yep. back home is just like having a very expensive storage space. <laughs> someone pointed out to me yesterday. Um, and, and 
the I'm not in Vancouver enough to have justified a, a place of my own, and right. also rent went up so much from when I left. Like I, I lived in a, a big share house uh, in East Van for four years with some really great friends. I. I, that's sort of the house where I wrote lots of music, became a full-time artist, and uh, it meant a lot to me. It was a real pile, that house. It was a real pile. <laughs> and when it got sold, I knew they were going to knock it down and kick me out. So right. uh, I was about to go on this big trip. So I put all my stuff in storage. And it's not rent eviction. It's like <laughs> smash eviction. I don't know what you call it. And, uh, yeah, and so being on the road, I mean, it's been so wonderful. You really see how... Generous people are with their space, uh, with their time, uh, with their hospitality, and there's so many kind people all over the place that are really on board with what you're doing, and they want to somehow help you in a way that's not just coming to your show, yeah. but giving you a home. And so you learn how to cultivate home everywhere that you go, and and that is very much uh, a skill that I think is really uh, valuable, and it shows you what's really important. Uh, it shows you how few things you really need, all of that good stuff. And I've had so many amazing adventures. I know that I'm going to want to come and find a place to live pretty soon because I'm running out to two years and I'm thinking maybe it's time to ground a bit, do some more writing, uh, have a bit more of a schedule, uh, and who knows. So, uh, But I'll probably just be back on the road real quick anyway. <laughs> I do love the idea that you realize how little you need. Mm. You know, it, because I, I when you move, every time I move, I think, oh, boxes. And I always end up bringing them with me. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, but you don't need that much. No, you don't. You, don't, you can strip it back pretty easily. Yeah. And did you, uh, when I moved out of my house, I like realized at least a quarter of our house was just garbage. <laughs> you just live in a house filled with garbage. It's crazy. I was like, look at all the just like lived surrounded by this stuff that could have not been here. <laughs> this is weird. Um, that was the beginning, I think, of that learning curve. And so, but you have a, a giant guitar. It yes. looks like that you lug around it's, with you everywhere. The guitar is actually quite small. It's just that this case is amazing because yeah. it's a it's a a light hard case. It's made of foam, and so I can take it on the plane with me. But I can also carry on my back from place to place. It, and it, it does almost look like it's a cello. It I, does look like a cello. Yeah. When, you, when you came in today, I thought you had brought. Uh, <laughs> Ladies <something>. and gentlemen, <laughs> I'll be playing some of my sonatas for you. Yes. Yeah, no. Yes, yo-yo gnome. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, uh, you never know. So let's talk uh, a little bit more uh, about the lyrics and, and, and the writing of the lyrics. Um, is there a line at which you won't cross? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't think about, I don't think I think about the boundaries in the same way other people do. I think that's yep. part of. That's part of the art though, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it's the funny thing is, is I don't actually necessarily swear more than other comics do. But mm -hmm. for some reason, it's uh, I think it's being a woman in some ways is like, a woman swearing. What you going to do next? Whistle? Like, uh, like, I can't believe she says those things. I'm like, eh, the comic before me swore more than I did, you know. But uh, but I think it's that juxtaposition of your performance, though. Yes, it's the way I'm saying it. it and even when I have the content, like I, I just wrote a Christmas song, for example. Right. There are no swear words in it. I didn't. I don't ever think consciously about like right. being explicit or not. But the thing is, the actual song is about something that is sexual, and therefore it's going to be called explicit. So it doesn't matter. Right. Um, so in terms of like profanities, I don't really consciously think about it. If it if I think it's it fits, I do it. In terms <laughs> of like material, I mean. I I try I want to explore lots of stuff. So right. for me, I'm like, if I can make it funny, I'm gonna try. Uh, and of course, I make mistakes and 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 that sort of thing. But I, I'll put together a song, I'll perform it. 
it's the audience that really tells me where the boundary is. And I'm always just trying to be right on the edge of it. I want like at least two people to walk out, but I want everyone else to stay. Because I feel like that's the sweet spot of like where you're really talking about something um, that can be, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, taboo right. maybe. Or- because I don't think that, it, it, it doesn't strike me that you're trying to be needlessly provocative. You're not no. really needlessly shocking people. It's no. not that. And I think no. if you were just to sort of maybe read the lyrics or look at the song titles, you might think that's the case, but that's not it. Yes. And I really appreciate you saying that because a lot of people don't quite understand that. And it's difficult to relay that while describing the act because there's so many people who do what you just call dirty country. And it's yeah. just like a joke about, hey, nipples, you know, sometimes nipples are big. Hey, big nipples. You're like, that's not a joke. That's just that's just yeah. shock for the sake of yours. Yeah. Like saying a thing. It's, yeah. And I don't do that. I feel like. I don't want to do that, and I don't want to be associated with that, and and it's difficult to, re- yeah, to 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 show that that's ha- that that's what I do without actually just doing it. Well, it's like you know, I, I don't know. Like you mentioned earlier on, and I'm speaking with Shirley Nome, uh, by the way, and the CD is called "Taking It Up the Notch." Buy it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Music. Um, you mentioned Lenny Bruce earlier yeah. on, and Lenny Bruce was someone who broke a lot of uh, taboos in terms of the language he was uh, using on stage. Mm-hmm. It ultimately cost him his career and possibly mm-hmm. his life, depending yeah. on what stories you read. Yeah, and uh, but he was not looking to shock people. He was looking to make uh, larger societal points about politics, about. Uh, the relationships between men and women about all sorts of things. He just did it in a way that uh, people who looked at the surface of it thought was a little mind bending. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I wonder, you know, I actually haven't listened to a lot of Lenny Bruce as I got older, but I think it had an effect on me as a teenager. Yeah, I don't think it's as funny as you might want it to be. Now. Now. Yeah. I think at the time it was... Uh, shocking just because of the language. You know, you were used to seeing, I don't know, comedians on the Ed Sullivan show or maybe at, in Las Vegas mm. who didn't use that sort of language. Yeah. Uh, so it might have been shocking that way, but I don't think we in our modern ears would find it as funny. Yeah. yeah. Which, you it's know. It's of its time. It's of its moment. Yeah. yeah. Some things are not meant to last the ages. That doesn't mean they don't have value. Maybe yeah, I'm projecting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to look forward to a future of not being relevant anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. So you're, you've been on the road for almost two years. Where do you go from here? That's a very good question. Where am I going? Uh, I never know. Uh, I'm in Toronto right now, right? Yep. Yes, I am. Then I go back. Oh, I'm going to do some shows on Vancouver Island. Yep. I'll be going to Victoria and Duncan. And then I whip back for a second. And then I'm doing a show in Portland, Oregon. A show in San Francisco. And then I'm back up to Vancouver for New Year's. Uh, and then January, I think I might sleep for a little bit. <laughs> I've heard that's a real gas. It, it, yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun stuff. <laughs> um, what else might you be doing if not entertaining, if not on the road for two years? Oh, if I wasn't entertaining? Mm-hmm. Like if I wasn't playing music? Yeah. Well, hmm. I, uh, I like helping other people. I like being a positive influence on the community, and I like making money. So maybe I'd go into <laughs> sex work. Listen, why not? Why not? I know people shame sex workers all the time, but uh, it's basically uh, most people are doing it on some level. Uh, <laughs> or maybe I would get into something else. I don't know. Let me think. What else would I do? Oh, uh, I don't know. I always actually sex education would be fun. Uh, that would be cool. Uh, or maybe uh, I 
don't know. Maybe I don't. I do. I do like helping people a lot. Maybe I would just officially become a counselor finally and get paid for my friends complaining all the time about their low self-esteem. <laughs> get over it. I'd be a really good counselor. Yeah, that that you might want to work on that approach a little bit. <laughs> well, I, I, this is. <laughs> I'd be a very unconventional counselor as well. I'd be like. No, stop it! <laughs> I just yell at them until they uh, till they learn their lesson, because that works with people, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and who are you listening to right now, music-wise and, and comedy-wise? Oh. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, the Australian comic earlier, but yes. who else? Who else is out there that we might not know about? That, that you, that you might not love? know. Okay, or, or or that we're familiar with that you're loving. Uh, let's see. I well, right now. Of course, I um, I'm loving Maria Bamford's season yeah. two of Lady Dynamite. Love, yeah. I love her stand up. I think her show. I think her second season is better than the first. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, what other? I mean, I just listened to um, Charlie Demir's album uh, that came out, and oh, it's so it's he's so smart. I really <laughs> love me a smart thinksy comic. He's just so smart. So that album is quite good. Um, there's lots of people in Australia that I met that were amazing that, um, I love, uh, there's a, a, a comedy, uh, music act out of Melbourne by way of Germany called Die Rote Punkte, Otto and Astrid Rot, and they, uh, are basically a punk rock band, uh, that, uh, their music is quite good, and their stage show is a complete disaster. And it's just one of the funniest things. And they come to Canada to do the Fringe every now and again, and I, I love them. No, that, those are those are those will be my choices. I could just I could sit here and just blah blah and blah just, about all the people and music and things and comedy I love. But yeah, that's all that's on my uh, on my brains at the moment. And we are out of time. Oh, that went so fast. Shirley Nome has been my guest. The CD is called Taking It Up the Notch. You can find it on iTunes. Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Music. And uh, keep your eye open in your local listings. This show's heard across the country. So uh, keep your eye open in your local listings. You'll see Shirley's name pop up. Uh, and go see the show. Yeah, Just don't come heckle. see me. Just don't heckle. Yeah, like let's have a hug instead. That would be nice. <laughs> Uh, Shirley, thanks so much for coming in. Hey, thanks for having me. This was wonderful. Uh, thanks to you for listening, and also a big thanks to Andre on the board. We'll talk to you next week.